All right, we're going to go ahead and invite you to find your seat, if you would, and want to welcome you. We're going to do something a little bit different today, but no less powerful. I want you to know that. We had a great time in the first service. One of the things we want to talk about here, and, and really it's, it's become taboo in a lot of church circles, or it has been for years, and finally things are starting to come to the surface a little bit and starting to talk about the elephant in the room. By the way, in the church world, you do know there's more than one elephant in the room, right? There's a bunch of them, and I'm, we're just going to slay one at a time, and you do that by calling it out. So one of the things uh, I have, it's been really hot on my heart, and then even Annette brought this up to me a while back as we were talking, we were traveling at one point, and just the fact that so many people suffer from mental illness. It's such, it's epidemic, and it's prolific, and we need to talk about it in this context. A lot of times in churches, it's you put on your good clothes, you splash on some cologne, you show up, you look great, by the way, but when somebody says, how are you doing? You just say, I'm fine, but you're not. And so what we want to do is foster and create a safe atmosphere where it's okay to say, I'm not okay, and I need help. And so we're just going to kill that elephant today. Is that all right? I was talking to somebody last week, and they said, uh, they said, you know you're opening Pandora's box. I said, no, that box has already been opened. We're just admitting it. We're calling it out. So we're going to talk about today, and we're, I'm going to ask you to really lean in with a hearing heart, but also an open spirit to say, Lord, what would you be saying to me? And my prayer and my belief, and especially after the first service, is that there's going to be something said, whether it's a main thing or a side thing, something is going to be said it's going to speak life to you and bring life to you. Can we pray as we get started? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together and to talk about the emotional side of our lives. We know that we're mind, we're body, we're spirit. And Lord, we need to talk about this. We need to bring this to the surface. So I'm grateful that you're at work. So we present this to you, Father ask you to take this conversation where it needs to go. We trust you in it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. So it is a conversation that we're starting today, and literally, it's just the start. It won't be the finish. So a number of years ago, in 2004, I was in a pastor's conference up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they brought in a, a counselor to talk to all of us pastors. Trade secret, pastors, we don't talk about our stuff. Now, y'all been around me enough to know I do, but most don't. And when you get in those environments, it's a lot of jockeying, positioning, a lot of um, insecurity. This, this is the world we live in, and you get a bunch of them together, and that just all gets amplified sometimes. Much less you bring a counselor in there who's talking about addictions, escapism, you know, on and on and on. And that room got so quiet, it was as though all the oxygen was sucked out of the room and the barometric pressure dropped. It was like a vacuum. And it was like so awkward and uncomfortable. And so much of what he was saying was resonating with me. So at the end, he said, I'm going to be up here when we're done. You feel free to come and talk to me. And I'd love to visit with any of you. So he, he says a little prayer and ends it. And it's like the man had leprosy. I mean, everybody scattered like cockroaches, except me. I beat a path up to that man. You know, you get to a point in your life where you just don't care what other people think. You need help, and it doesn't matter what it looks like. And oh, if we could get that as followers of Jesus, to get to the place where it's okay to say, I'm not okay. That it's okay to say, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all together. I've got junk in the trunk. 
and I need help. So I went and visited that guy. He was three and a half hours from where I live. I drove from Abilene to McKinney, Texas, sat down with him, and within a few, just a little bit of time, questions and talking, I thought I was going for one thing. God had a whole nother plan. And God completely left hooked me and exposed unforgiveness in my heart towards my father. Not my heavenly father, my dad. And it completely caught me off guard. And that therapist, that counselor was so wise, he knew to push that button. And when he did, I almost went before Jesus on him, came across the table and ripped his throat out because he just so... But it was the break that I needed to begin to heal. And I began the road of healing and recovery, and I was able to forgive and release on something I didn't even know was holding me back. I just knew something was holding me back. And so since that point, and even before then, I've always had such a great respect and appreciation for the counseling world, the therapeutic world. And I got a little bit of my background from working at Buckner Children's Home and Hope for Tomorrow and running groups and whatnot. And so it's a real love of mine because I believe, let me put it this way, is it spiritual or is it psychological? And the answer is yes. Yes. You try pulling those worlds apart, it's not going to happen. Uh, we'll ask our golden question. Anybody remember our golden question? How's that working for you? All right. So, so we understand that. So as we go here today, we're just going to talk about some things. And it's going to be a free conversation. So I'm hoping it's not just like the first service because I, I, there's so much more to learn so much more to grow from. So Seeing 2020, it's a series, mini series we're doing here during January. This is the power of a sound mind. Listen to this scripture. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That means the ability to think well. That's what he's given us. That's our inheritance in Christ. So I want to welcome our distinguished guests, if you would. They're laughing at that. Renee Pennington, Erica Benfield, Linda Atkins here, Susan Jennings over there, and Sam Warren is with us from Oak Hills. Thanks, Sam, for making the drive over this morning. Can we bless them and welcome them? So in 2013, Matthew Warren, this is the son of uh, uh, Pastor Rick and Kay Warren of Saddleback Community Church in California, 27 years of age. He took his own life after a long a lifelong battle with depression. At about seven years of age, they began to notice things, and, and then they walked with him through that terrible journey. And unfortunately, it didn't end well for him. At 27, he took his life. And so this is one of the things a parent would never want to see on a screen, and that is the result of a lost battle here. And so one of the reasons we're addressing this, and the reason I wanted you to see this, is that this is not relegated to status in life or job or position or any of those things, race, ethnicity, anything. This is something that is prolific in our culture. I'm going to run through some stats real quick, and then we'll get to, to the conversation. Studies show that 60 million Americans will experience a mental illness in any given year. 60 million. One in five adults, that's one in ten children. Half of all adults will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. I want you to look around the room real quick. Just do, do a quick cursory view. Half of this room, just think about that, at any given time, are suffering from mental illness. 70% of clergy do not feel equipped to handle mental illness. There were no classes for this when I was at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
We had some family counseling things that we did, which were good and helpful, but there was not near the emphasis there needed to be. A couple more things. One out of four pastoral care calls are related to mental illness, and I can vouch for that, sometimes more. In 2017, 47,173 Americans died by suicide. That was 2017. My understanding is that those numbers are rising incrementally each year. And if you look at the pattern from 2013 to 17, which is the graph I was looking at, there's an increase in those rates and incidents of suicide. On average, there are 129 suicides per day. That's less than every 14 minutes. How sobering is that? 90% of people who take their life have an underlying mental illness. So we're talking about this because there's not a person in this room who has not been impacted by mental illness at one level or another. Whether it's depression, panic attacks, anxiety at some level, or even worse and deeper, uh, suicide. Two of my dearest ministry friends have lost sons to suicide in their 20s. So this is touching all of us at some point. So... We're not opening Pandora's box. That box has already been opened. We're simply acknowledging what is and saying, is there help and what can we do? So let's start the conversation. Now I'm going to start letting them talk. How do we remove the stigma of mental health in the church or mental illness in the church and create a safe environment where it's okay to say, I'm not okay and I need help? So let's just talk freely. Hey, here it goes. Um, I think the most important thing is to be able to be transparent, and <clears throat> that's hard. Uh, I, uh, I entered this field through my own stuff that went on, and I, and I say that to say that I grew up, I was born in Israel, came here when I was seven and a half, and had the right schools, the right family, everything I thought, and it didn't work. And um, when I was 14 years old, um, I didn't talk. It was hard to imagine, <laughs> knowing me now. But they, the counselor at school said to my parents to take me to a, a psychiatrist back then. I think they had less therapists. And I sat there, and they said... And my father, in his heavy accent, said, she's just good. She's a good girl. Well, they didn't know what was going on with me, that I had been abused that I'd never shared, uh, a sexual abuse. They didn't know all the things, but I just looked the part. Good. I fit the family. I didn't mm. want to shame them. And that went on for years. You know, made the right grades, did the, hung around the right people. And it worked till I was 36 years old. And at 36, <clears throat> was married to an attorney, and a lot of you know Burl. He passed away two years ago. And um, it was exposed in the Dallas paper that he had killed a jaguar and he had these five kids, lived in a $7 million home, thought everything was right, and my life was exposed, and it didn't work anymore. And I went to the bathroom, and I took, I don't know how many Tylenol, that was the only medication in the cabinet and I wanted to end my life and I say that to say only that was the start of the work because I wasn't a Christian I was married to a Baptist who's 
you know, we weren't equally yoked. But until that broke down in my life to, to know that body, mind, and spirit what wasn't working, and I went to Minrith Meyer, and I heard the first words of, about Christ and about who I was. And I had a lot of shame and guilt. So I say that, that in my work now, that it's very, to be transparent, all of us, but sometimes that's very hard because people judge us and they look at us and they think we look like a nice little package. And so I say that, that we have to be able to share wherever we are about who we are. And I thank God because if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be able to work with yeah. the people that I've been blessed to work with. And yeah. I love it. So. That's great. Jimmy, I love where you started. Um, terms of you know calling things out uh, and you used the word fine a minute ago long one of my one of my careers was uh way back in the 90s was running residential treatment centers for emotionally disturbed adolescents 11 to 17 years of age and i was a therapist and a director and then ultimately the the child care administrator for the program and we had uh, in one unit uh, 49 kids and another unit 52 girls as a, that was a zoo every day. And everything that we did uh, was to help them because they couldn't live outside of this, this facility. Um, and we would do morning and evening kind of high-low groups, what we called them. You know, how, how, what, are you, what are you expecting for the day? And then at the end of the day, a, a kind of a, a chance to kind of talk about what went on. And this is not stuff that, that these kids normally were given the per permission to do in their families uh, or wanted to do. And so one of the things that became real common was, uh, how was your day? It was fine. How are you? I'm fine. And so we turned it on them. And fine has a, co has a code word. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but if you tell somebody you're fine, what, in, on our unit, what we would do is, I'm sorry. I hope it gets better. <laughs> and they go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> fine. Acronym. Frustrated. Insecure. Neurotic. And emotionally exhausted. And that's really kind of where a lot of people live. Wow. But they, they just covered over with, yeah, I'm fine. And the, the, the good news is, and you were one of the ones that were willing to go down and break past the, 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 the deception and the, all the things and say, you know what? Forget the stigma. I need, I want that life. I want to live the fullness. We just got through singing about this morning. Yeah. Yes. I, I can't be with fine. Mm. Amen. That's right. It's good. I think for Christians so often, we, they think if I just prayed hard enough, if I was just worked hard enough and been more spiritual, if I just read my Bible enough and became good enough, yeah. I wouldn't have this problem. Mm -hmm. um, and the truth is, is that, you know, a big part of this is physiological. And I tell people often, I don't know about you, but I can't make my pancreas secrete more insulin. I mean, if you can, great. But, <laughs> but in the, your brain is the same way. Yeah. And so we've got to treat the person physiologically, spiritually, and psychologically good. to get them whole again. Good, good. Excellent, excellent. Moving right along. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> questions down there. Here's the cue. <laughs> So the thing was, is we want to remove the stigma. We want to remove the sphere uh, that people have coming into a church and not being able to say, I need help. And that's our heart here for you. We want you to know we love you that much, that we would take a Sunday 
And, and someone even made a joke saying, well, you didn't get to preach today. I'm like, no, they did, and they did a better job than I could because it's important that we talk about this and remove this thing. So here's, here's an important thing. For the follower of Christ, what role does faith play in finding hope and a pathway to health? So what role in, in terms of what you do does faith play in finding this? So one of the things that I wanted to say about this was um, a lot of times, you know, as we're talking right now, we're talking about anxiety and depression, um, but really whenever you're experiencing spiritual distress or the thing that leads you to the point of suicide, a lot of times it is a lack of hope or a loss of hope. And this comes from something like chronic pain. This comes from grief. This comes from the outfall of divorce. This comes from a parent who has a child that's struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. There's so many things in our lives that can separate a worldly hope or sense of hope in our lives. And so the, the role of being a follower in Christ in this is that you always know that there is somebody there that loves you. You always know that somebody loves you right in that moment, right where you are. And it's a very important part of getting back towards a sense of hope again. Good. And I think it's really important, too, for us to remember that we need to have that faith and that hope before we can actually relax enough to listen to somebody else's mm. you know, their distress. Mm-hmm. When people are struggling with their faith, if we are struggling with our faith very much, it can stir that up and we want to like kind of shut it down, you know, mm-hmm. like pray some more. But, mm. but when, when you're depressed or anxious, the ability to pray often is just goes away. Mm. They, you know, people will say to me, it's like, I can't pray. I can't feel God. I just feel numb. Wow. Or... If he cared about me, I wouldn't be feeling like this. You know, so that's when we have to be Jesus. We have to show we care by just listening to them. Yeah. Don't tell them what to do. Mm. <laughs> just listen. Mm. You know. And that's part because we've been that we've been down that road ourselves. Exactly. Sure. Thinking yeah. about the the faith part, mm-hmm. um, it's what we believe ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's a righteousness that's uh, manifested from first to last by faith. And so we're lived by faith. That's, that's the key thing. Yeah. And that's, ultimately that's what we are trusting in or what we believe in. And so it, it's, it's, at the, it's at the epicenter of all of this. What do I believe about me? What do I believe about life, about God? Um, and is it in line with Scripture? It is, is it in line with the truth of, yeah. of Jesus, who is the way, the there truth, and go. the life? And that's, that becomes, uh, like you were talking about, you know, things that, are, that I've hidden from myself, um, lies, um, wounds, that somehow or another I've begun to believe, well, I'm not good enough, and then we lose hope. Yeah. But it goes back to, I've heard everyone up here say, it goes back to identity and, and who we are in Christ and what he has does. done for us. Yeah, very good. And Renee, speak to the wheel that you talked about and the spokes on the wheel. It's like if you could picture yourself, your life is kind of a wagon wheel. And and the hub of that wheel always needs to be and constantly needs to be Christ, needs to be the center of your life. And if the best of your ability, that's there, then you've got other spokes that come out. You've got emotional spokes. You've got physiological. You've got relational Um, you've got mental, you've got all of those things. And if one of those spokes is not working properly, the wheel doesn't roll. But Jesus can help bring other people in your life and help in your life if you will just reach out for help that can help those wheels that will be repaired and you roll like you need to roll. 
But the first thing is knowing who you are in Christ. That's the most important thing, that he loves you, and there's healing there. So so the identity piece was one of the most important things that changed my life, not only meeting with that counselor in McKinney, Texas in 2004, but even before that, there had already been a process started where I had read a book called The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson, thinking I was reading it more towards the spiritual component of, of some things we were experiencing out in Southern California with our student ministry. But it was actually the identity piece of that book that absolutely impacted my life. When that finally dropped for me and I realized that on my worst day, God loved me the same on my worst day as on my best, that it wasn't about my performance, it wasn't about how good I was or how spiritual I was or how much I read the Bible or prayed, even though those are wonderful, good things, that is not what got me in with God. And so when I understood that I'm a son, I'm a saint, I'm called of God, I'm an anointed one. I mean, literally, I could go on for a long time on those. The I am on the bookmark that Bill Loveless gave us. But the in Christ I am piece, once that dropped for me, that was also a part of the journey. And, and that's something I just want to speak to. This wholeness thing is not, a, not an instantaneous, happens in a moment in time. This is a journey that we're on. And it's an epic journey, as, as uh, John Eldridge speaks to, with lots of twists and turns. And so I want y'all to speak to this idea of identity in Christ and how important that is in regards to wholeness, healing. Well, we talked about this a little bit at the first service, but one of the essential things to identity in Christ is you are forgiven. And not only that, you are empowered through the Holy Spirit to forgive. Yeah, there you um, go. And so we, we were talking about a little bit of the, not a little bit, but quite a bit of the healing power of forgiveness yeah. and identifying past hurts, past losses, past other, I don't know, alter, or alternate realities that you thought you were going to have that just didn't happen. Um, and people, that it's from a different perspective from everybody. Sometimes that's a marriage you thought was going to be successful. Sometimes it is... A, a loved one that you thought was going to be there to live out many more years with you that got taken too early. And so forgiving a lot of times is just grieving. This is a, to paraphrase Dr. Edith Eager. It's to grieve a different past. And by, when you let yourself grieve that other past, the past that you expected that you hoped for, you allow yourself to offer forgiveness. And it's a process to go through. But because of your identity in Christ, because you are forgiven, you are also given the ability to forgive. That's great. That's great. And a point and note in the forgiveness piece is that all you have to do is be willing to forgive. All you have to do is ask God to say, please help me forgive this person that has hurt me so badly. You can't do that yourself. But if you ask him to do that, he will begin forgiving that person through you. Also, in depression, one of the major things that leads to suicide is this intense feeling of unworthiness. Mm. Well, Christ makes us worthy. If they can get that, if you can get that peace, then Satan can't work that in your life. I'm going to speak of those that the population, the law of the population that I have been blessed to work with that, you know, I can't even start a conversation about Christ. They're absolutely lost. 
I go three days a week to San Antonio where they've been homeless, they've come out of prison, they're angry, and they have profound mental illness. So, you know, we're addressing that. And when I say that is because they have, you know, they don't have any tools in their toolbox to cope with life. So they're the the things that they do are absolutely destructive that they and you and then obviously after years of being rejected or or hurt and families have given out money they're left in a nursing home at a younger age and they have no one so i kind of provide a surrogacy family a relationship maybe the only relationship they have and so through that non-judgmental and to be able to, certainly they need to have the meds and deal with the mental illness, which, you know, otherwise it's a distortion of thoughts that you can't, you know, they're thinking I'm going to hurt them or, or what's going on. And so they have to be on meds and then try to work through some of their, their past post-traumatic stress, which we hear a lot about, and working on that then they can kind of say, Linda, Dr. Atkins, whatever they call me, it, you know, how come you're nice? And I, and I have to share and say, you know, God forgave me. I am not perfect. And, you know, they just look at it from, I could never go out there. I can never forgive my family. And, you know, I, I share this because my family... My family disowned me when I accepted Christ. So you have to understand we're talking to a body that is already knows about faith. We have to break it down. And that's the population generally I speak with and work with, whether it's here or I've been in the ER. And, and it's through love. Unconditional. We have to live it and walk it. And that's where then they start asking the questions. And I'll say a really quick question, I mean, little testimony about a young man that I saw a couple weeks ago, and he came up to me and he said, are you Linda Atkins? And I said, yes. And he said, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think so. I didn't really remember him. But that sounds <laughs> terrible. But, you know, he was, he was 15 or 16 years old. He was put in Kerr County Juvenile Facility for us as a sexual offender, you know. And he, I, he was in my care. And um, here it is, you know, he's in his 30s now. He sees me. And I look at him and he said, I just want to tell you something. I remember you always talked about God. And he said, you planted that seed. And now I speak at Stonewell Baptist. I went to prison. I am a sex offender, but I am, you know, forgiven. And, and I went to my family, and, and they forgave me. And I just sobbed. And I took him to lunch last Thursday, and I just cried. So you just never know when you plant that seed. Somebody had to do it. Somebody was praying for this sinner here. For a long time, <laughs> and so here I am. Beautiful, Linda. Beautiful. Yeah. I think uh, just listening to Linda, and I'm, what I'm hearing is uh, what what John talks about in First John uh, about maturing in love, growing up, and becoming mm -hmm. a lover in the yeah. in the biblical sense of that word. Yeah. And the the process means that I'm I can love because I have been first loved Good. by Jesus. 
And, um, and he talks, he goes on, he talks about the fact that mature love casts out all fear mm. because fear has to do with judgment. And so that's where a lot of us get stuck. We, yeah, Jesus, he's stamped me and I've got my, my fire insurance and I'm good to go. But the ongoing basis of living in relationship with him and really learning to live free and full yeah. takes risk. And that it, it powers us back into the whole world of fear. And that maturing process that John talks about is, uh, is dealt with by what you're asking here about faith and belief and knowledge. And so we, we find ourselves going back in every instance of our lives, or should, going back to trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because wow. what, what did he accomplish? He, he broke the fears that we are all inhabited mm -hmm. by. Right. The fear that I'm failing or I'm going to fail, I'm not going to be passed or not be judged well. And he says, I have given you my righteousness. Mm -hmm. You meet every standard because I met every standard. Right. And so our identity is in him. You, we fear being uh, disapproved of or unaccepted or rejected. He said, I have accepted you, God says to us, in the beloved. And if he's accepted us, I cannot do anything more or do anything less to get more or less acceptable to him because it's already been done. Right. And so I learned to right. trust in that. I, I, the fear of being punished because mm -hmm. I'm guilty. The reality is, is that Jesus took, he was the propitiation. He took all of the punishment for all of my sin, yes. all of my yes. sins and yours and mine as well. And so I learned to rest in his propitiation, his yes. giving for that. And that the, the, I think the one that starts us and then we end in, we culminate it. And the ones that that lose hope and to the point of, of despairing of their own life are lost in shame. Mm -hmm. But I think we start there in shame. And, and go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, they recognized when they had done wrong, they went immediately to begin to hide and to blame and to, to avoid, you know, and to cover up. Yeah. And so shame was at work and it's still at work in our lives yeah. all the time. You know, sure. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not yeah. acceptable enough. I've done too much bad, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And he reminds us that he has given us and made us to be a new creation. We've been born again yeah. into a living hope. And yeah. that knowledge of what Jesus has done for us is what we anchor our faith in, and it gives us the hope. Yeah. It powers us through as we do, continue this journey of learning how to live like him, which yeah. is a life of love. Yeah. Amen. So how, go ahead. I'd like to say something about forgiveness yeah. on the other side. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I think that um, people in the church may have trouble actually owning up to having problems or asking for help is the judgmental nature of a lot of us who are, we have the wrong idea about God and about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And since we're trying so hard to be good and perfect, we want our children certainly to be good and perfect. And we don't want to hear them say that they're depressed or they're anxious. It's like, no, that doesn't really, that's not a real thing. Just, you yeah. know, depression is not real. It's just, you know, everybody gets sad. Come on. Yeah. And that's one of, the, one of the ways stigma builds up. It's like yes. we don't want anybody to see that we are not perfect. So we don't want to encourage our family to be open about it. We punish them if they are sometimes, mm -hmm. you know. And we tend to hang on to our resentments of other people. It's like... We've got to keep resenting them because otherwise they're going to get away with it. 
Mm. Wow. You know, I've heard people tell me that several times. Is wow. Especially when they've been badly abused in mm. some way. It's like, right. I can't forgive him or her. I just can't. And I say, well, why not? And they don't even know, even though they know it's bad for them. And yeah. I'll say, well, is it because you feel like if you forgive them, they just got away with it? Right, and they said, right. yes. Right. But they've gotten away with it anyway. Truth. <laughs> you know? So, and you're okay. suffering more. You know, they are still abusing you if you mm-hmm. haven't turned loose of that resentment and turned loose of that desire for revenge and just forgive them. Doesn't mean it's okay. Never means saying it's fine. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's good. You, you spoke about that in one sermon. It's yeah, like it's you can forgive somebody but not have any more uh, interactions with them. You know, forgiveness is so important. I think also a lot of times people, especially in the church, minimize the symptoms of depression and anxiety. And sometimes they don't even know what it is. They think, well, it's just somebody that cries all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's somebody who loses interest or gets angry too often or can't sleep or can't concentrate, all of those things. And they minimize it. Oh, it's not really that bad. Mm. And they don't reach out because they're scared to get help um, until it gets really, really bad. And what they need to remember is that the the bravest thing you can do and the best thing you can do is just take that one step, you know, um, and, and do it before it gets so bad that you're thinking of ending your life. Yeah. If, if it's causing problems in your relationships, your home, your, you know, your quality of life, your work, then you've got a problem and just reach out. Yeah. So I have a question. That's great. Everything is amazing. And I want to speak to this because it's important. How do we as a Christian family, how do we remove or how do we create, how do we remove this? That if I speak out that I'm not doing great, then I have a lack of faith, that I'm not believing God, that I'm not doing enough for God. How do we alleviate that unspoken pressure in a room like this to create that place of safety where it's okay to say I'm not okay? I know I keep coming back to that and beating that drum, but because I know we all need help at some level. We all need some counseling. It's, It's good for the soul. Trust me on this. So how do, we, how do we get to the point where we don't stigmatize people because they say they need help? Well, if you just had more faith, Erica. Read, read the Psalms. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's plenty of Psalms for David there. is saying, you know, I'm, I'm in a bad shape and mm-hmm. I'm angry at you, God. Yeah, and he's true. not punished for that and it's in yeah. the Bible. <laughs> So we're supposed to read it. It's good. And I think it just comes back to a place in identity in Christ and love. I mean, loving your Christian brothers and sisters and acknowledging that every single one of us has baggage. And yeah. there's not a, I mean, we joke about the sign on the wall, but truly, um, if you allow yourself to be transparent, like Linda is saying, then you open up those windows. You let mm-hmm. people know that your life isn't quite as put together as you thought it was going to be either. And that's okay. You just get back to loving each other. Good, good, good. Well, that's why AA groups work so well. It's because they're very open yeah. and very vulnerable, yeah. and they, they're very close. And, you know, yeah. That's where those good groups are. It's good, it's good. So how can we, because we need to land the plane here. It went too, way too fast. But how do we help one another? What do we need to look for, whether it's in our connect group or whether it's in the hallway here and our ongoing conversations? A lot of them are bump and runs or quick, 
But what, are there things that we need to be looking for, and how can we help? How can we have our antenna up, our radar on to help one another? Well, I think, I think a lot of times we hear that somebody's had a loss or, or something in the community, and we just say, let's pray for them, and that's wonderful. But we have to recognize that loneliness, that isolation, um, wonderful what you're doing in, in the nursing home, because a lot of people don't have family or, or whatever, and they're connecting. And that's the thing is, even with our families of saying, oh, they'll be all right, they, you know, we don't talk. I mean, how many, you know, I know when my family gets together, they got to have their phones. And, I, you know, God forbid I should say, put that away. But I think the thing we text, we don't see face-to-face. We're not looking at them like we used to. And, and when we see these things, to be bold enough to say, are you really all right? Is there something I can do? And then do something with that, whether it is because, you know, I've been in crisis work for so many years. That that's when you know they're making outcry. If they even call you or you know, recognize that people are making an outcry without saying that there's something wrong if someone tells you something or whatever. But don't be just say, I'm just going to pray for you because there are, there are physical things that they may need and emotional support. And as a community, we need to do that. We need to be bold in that. Uh, and I know it isn't popular, it isn't, but I think the thing is it's the right thing to do. We need to be able to come in those doors before, like I said, people are not going to feel worthy enough to come into here when they're hurt and don't and feel ashamed. They have to be able to come in the door and be able to say, can I talk to somebody the same way it is in the ER or their doctor's office or whatever and be available and, and give them what they need. I think we just need to make sure that we're intentional and not yeah. just get caught up in the busyness of our lives right. and then you know, in that intentionality, take the time and offer vulnerability. Let people know that you're not okay either. You may look like you have the package all put together, and you, maybe you're in a good season and the package is put together right, right now, but there was a time before that it wasn't, and you can share those yeah. stories also. But just good. be intentional and take time. Good, and good. listen, you know, if you ask somebody how they are and they, they tell you and you kind of sense maybe there's a little something, you get quiet and you just say, well, and what else, you know? Mm-hmm. What's that like? You know, just yeah. kind of draw them out, and they'll they'll often tell you, you know. Yeah. And yeah, just show them unconditional love. Just yeah. listen to them like you would want to be listened to. Yeah. Be intentional in being present with them. There you go. Um, and you know, having options for them. Go talk to your doctor. Go talk to your pastor. Or you know, I know you know somebody you can go talk to and yeah. and help them that and encourage them yeah. that this can be you can. Your quality of life can be improved. You do not have to live like this forever. Yeah. It can get better. I love that. Yeah. And medication is good. Absolutely. <laughs> we hadn't yes. talked about it very much in this in this one, but yes, a lot of people unless they're just dying, they think, "Well, I can do it without yeah. it." And that just yeah. prolongs the misery, you know. Yeah. If so. I if I break my leg, I'm going to go get it set. I'm going to take medications, lots of it. I don't like pain, and I'm going to use crutches until I don't need them anymore. Why? Because those are going to help me into a place of wholeness and healing. 
And what we've done, we've stigmatized medications and things to the point of we just blatantly say without knowing anything, we speak out of ignorance and sometimes self-righteousness. Say, oh, I would never do meds. Oh, I, that's terrible. I mean, I, the stuff I've heard out of people's mouths, I'm like, because you're not there right now. You don't need it. That's easy to say. But if, you're, if your daughter is spinning out and her life is out of control, you're going to withhold meds from your child because, because you don't believe in them? So there's another stigma. Can there be abuse? Well, yeah. There's a, we live in wine country. There's abuse of wine, but it's a wonderful thing, but it's abused, right? So it's the same thing with meds. Anything good can be abused, but that doesn't mean you throw out the baby with the bathwater. Can I get an amen? So, so don't just rule that out or make a blanket sweeping statement on that. Sam? Or, you know, um, and as we get older, the serotonin in our brain, and we're not as active, and so it's common that, you know, they may need a little help, um, more centenary and so forth. I know when Burl died, he used to go to the grocery store, so he did all the grocery shopping. I went to the grocery store one day, and I... And I started crying, and some friend who was a doctor saw me and said, um, Ben and Jerry. I go, Ben and Jerry, it's not my friend, the ice cream, you know. <laughs> so it's like, and, and for a couple months, it went like that, and I actually said, no, I don't think I need anything, but I did. I needed to go through situational depression and get on a, a, a little medication that helped, but you know, uh, and, and at times we do need that, you know, so, you know, yeah, Ben and Jerry or Lexapro. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my contribution to this is, uh, don't let fine be fine. Mm-hmm. Don't let it go. The, the other, uh, high ideal is going back to what Jesus told his disciples. If a new commandment I give you, love one another as mm-hmm. I've loved you. Mm-hmm. And, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Yeah. So this, this thing we call the church becomes a community yes. of people who are learning and growing in their capacity to love. And so learning to listen, learning to push in, learning to be gentle, learning to be non-judgmental, learning to share out of what, what you've learned and what yeah. the Holy Spirit uh, you know, we, have a, we all have an onboard counselor if, we, if we've been born again. We mm-hmm. have the Holy Spirit yeah. who is teaching us and leading us into that truth and helping us get free from the, 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 the brokenness that yeah. we all have yeah. and move us into a position where we are like Jesus and we're yeah. able to love fully and freely. And that's what our destiny is. And the, the, the body of Christ, as we become that, it's not about how many programs you have or how great the worship is. It's how do you love? And yes. that's our calling card. That's where I want to see us go. That's great. Don't y'all appreciate these guys? Can we show them our appreciation? Uh, thank you. Thank now you we're going to so sing a song. <laughs> thank you so much, all of you, and just appreciate you giving your time and your expertise out of your own experience. So thank you for that. As we land the plane today, I just want to encourage you in a couple of things. First of all, we're starting the conversation, which means this is going to have to happen again, whether we get all back or whoever. We're going to continue to talk about these things. And there's other things that we need not stick our head in the sand about. Amen? Do you believe that God's big enough to handle our stuff? 
then let's just let's be okay with talking about our stuff so we can get the help that we need. So we're going to put together some resources. I'm going to spend some time trying to put together a little resource information uh, that we can give out next week. Just where do you go with this and how do you ask for help? Because it's easy to say ask, but still we've got to give you an on-ramp for that. So I'm going to put together some things this week. I'll bring them back. I'll probably put them in the little corner over there where we seem to be putting a lot of things in the Connect booth. But I want you to know that there's, there's help. And so we'll put some things together for you. Just so if you need help, you can at least go there. So we'll start that ball rolling that way. So let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward and be up here at the front. Uh, let's get all of you guys up here. Appreciate that. And uh, if you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, we want to be here to, to stand with you. You know, we've, we've always said this, that our prayer at the altar is not counseling. It's simply supporting you and encouraging you and come along beside you to hold your arms up and help you fight the good fight of faith. The good news is it's a good fight, which means we win. Amen? So we want to help you in that and help you continue to contend for God's best for your life. So let's pray together. Do on your way out, if you don't mind, stop by, say hi to them, thank them, and just appreciate them. I can't say thank you enough for this. I believe the first of many opportunities like this to, to get people help. So let's pray together. Father, what a privilege to be together today. Lord, teach us, walk us through this, this thing called life. Give us the grace to navigate this thing. And Father, with all the available tools that are out there, and Lord, this being one more spoke in the wheel. So Lord, thank you for, for each one. Lord, for Linda, for Erica, for Susan, for Renee, for Sam. Given of their time, but more importantly, given of their heart as a labor of love to bring hope to the hurting. So we love you as we become the hands and feet of Jesus. In Christ's name that we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you.